Hello and welcome to Earthcast, a platform for discussions about bridging the resource gap between people and planet. I am Olivia Taylor, or Olivia Earth on the socials, your host, and I will be interviewing a series of change makers, thinkers and disruptors, and asking them about their areas of expertise. Together, we will discover fresh perspectives and the most useful levers in society for change. The main question that we will explore is how are trade-offs made between people, planet and profit? More specifically, how do we solve wicked problems and make decisions at the margin? If you would like to hear more from Earthcast, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Hello and welcome back to another episode at Earthcast. Today I am joined by Orni Patton Power, who is the founder of Intelligent Impact, a firm working in technology for social impact advisory and a university lecturer on innovative finance, impact investing and technology for impact. Orni is also an entrepreneur in residence at the Skoll Center for Entrepreneurship, an associate fellow at the University of Oxford Said Business School, a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics Marshall Institute and at the University of Cape Town's Graduate School of Business. So, Orni, that was quite a mouthful. Always <laughs> is. <laughs> exciting, though. Very, very exciting. So, Orni, you're writing a book, which is almost ready to publish, as I understand, which looks at financing options designed for anyone to pick up. And I quote, the book breaks down the different types of funding options available from convertible grants to revenue-based financing uh, to outcome-based loans to distributed ownership and more. So can you give myself and perhaps the listeners as well any insights or a little teaser of the book that you're writing, Adventure Finance, or perhaps even read a paragraph you really like? Sure, uh, happy to. So it is done. It is, it is with the publishers. It's just the publishing process. Um, I'm, I'm learning now. It's long, so it should be out in a few months. The book is actually a series of stories, Olivia. Um, so what, what it is, is I've done um, is that I've I found a set of founders and funders that have played outside the lines and really started to create types of funding structures that are designed for the types of impact and financial return that entrepreneurs want to build. And so the book goes through and introduces readers to these new types of financing options through these stories. So it starts out with the story of an incredible set of African entrepreneurs that are building a healthcare business in Nigeria. And then we, we go to Mexico and um, get to look at um, a funder that is dispersing funds using a technology-based platform to help individuals that need working capital. And then we go to India and um, get to see a foundation that's created a really interesting opportunity for entrepreneurs that want to get interest rate rebates based off of the type of impact that they are creating. So each of the stories is designed to introduce the readers to the concept. And then after the stories, what I've really done is, is pulled together as much of the kind of best practice uh, ideas that are in the market around that specific type of funding and laid out ways that founders and funders want to evaluate the specific instrument. So 
It's a series of stories, hopefully designed to help both founders and funders figure out what type of financing they should be looking at and what they should be using in their toolkit. Oh, that's super exciting. I can't wait to, to get my hands on a copy. So when you have heard you say in an interview that South Africa is doing quite well with regards to impact investing. So I want to know twofold, what exactly are we doing so well and how do we need to take ourselves to the next level? And then further, who else in Africa, the continent, is leading this change? And is there anything we in South Africa can learn from them? Yeah, absolutely. So in South Africa, we have kind of, I would say, multi-levels of, um, of leadership around impact investing. One is from a regulatory perspective, which is it was really led by Regulation 28, uh, which was, oh gosh, I actually should remember this. This is the second time I've talked about Reg 28 in the past um, week, and I always forget when it came out. Um, I think Reg 28 is is nine years old now. Um, essentially, that allowed, and in some cases, and people say stipulated, needing to think about social and environmental impact alongside financial return. Still a long ways to go on that, but um, having that language in a regulation, a financial regulation, was important to signal that it was something that the government cared about and that um, the organization should be caring about. The next is really around industry associations. So we through my work at the Bertha Center and um, you know other work with partners, have created things like the National Advisory Board, um, the South African National Advisory Board, um, so which looks at impact investing has created a cross section of um, different types of leaders in impact investing and has a variety of working groups and um, have been able to turn out some really useful, I think, documents and working on several interesting structures from you know, things like large wholesale banks, which would um, essentially fund different types of impact uh, funders to other types, potentially of regulation or smaller funds. And then I think the other thing is just that, you know, because we are, we have the most sophisticated financial system on the continent, the level of and the number of investors that are actively investing with impact and everything from debt funds to equity funds to foundations that are allocating capital um, as investment is, is higher. So the conversation in South Africa is certainly, I would say, more advanced than many places in the world, which most people don't realize. Although we still have a long ways to go in the actual amount of capital that is allocated. And, and to take South Africans to the next level, you know, we need additional capital that's allocated. We need more of an enabling environment from government. Regulation, as we've seen, isn't always the answer. So the Section 12J tax um, legislation, which was just repealed, was something that was supposed to help small businesses. Um, and really what the government found in their, in their research was that it wasn't actually helping small businesses. And so we need to figure out ways to create enabling regulation in South Africa that really encourages organizations and individuals to invest in impact. And we also need more options, more financial products, more institutions that create funds and that create retail financial products for individuals to invest in. I'm really happy to report that it's all happening. I'm 
I, I can barely keep up. I'm, I'm trying my best to, to work with a variety of different institutions um, to develop some of these new products. And there's lots on the horizon. I can tell you, you're going to see a lot of announcements um, in the coming kind of three to six months. Uh, so we're, I think we are getting there. Um, and other countries that we can we can look to and we do look to to and work with are countries like uh, Kenya and Nigeria um, that have active early stage investment scenes as well as um, starting to be active impact investors. Same thing with uh, Egypt, also a active early stage investment scene and impact investors. Um, but as far as kind of institutional, so large capital. We certainly in South Africa have um, the, the largest amount of capital and largest amount of capital that's dedicated um, and really thinking seriously about impact. You've definitely given me a lot more to think about. I'm going to have to re-listen to this and digest that. <laughs> the beauty of podcasting. Orni, in your work as an educator and impact investment professional, how do you think about the gray areas or the trade-offs made in business, i.e. between business externalities, both social and environmental concerns, and reaching investment targets. And then as an impact investor, would you be able to tell me about a deal that went really well at a purpose and financial level? Sure. So, you know, I think historically in impact investing, when we first started, there was this idea that trade-offs have to be made in every situation. And, you know, what do those trade-offs look like in quantifying those? I think what we've gotten to as an industry, and I think something that is just globally is conversation, is that it's much more nuanced than that. There are times when trade-offs should be made, um, and there are times when trade-offs are not necessarily needed. There are times when trade-offs are between short-term and long-term, and there are times when there are trade-offs between what's good for individuals and what's good for society. And we can look at examples of all of those. So, for instance, on a short-term versus long-term basis, it might be in a company's short-term interest to raise prices in the midst of a, um, a time like COVID um, when it's a difficult period and the company needs to make money. But from a long-term perspective, that may harm their customers and their brand. Um, and you know, even though that's something that looks like a short-term business decision in a long-term, it may not be a good business decision. Whereas the converse can be true. Um, companies that lower their prices and work with their customers to make sure that you know, they can afford their, um, their payments or um, being able to access the services may actually in the long-term turn out to have you know, better sales and actually a better relationship with their customers. Those may look like short-term trade-offs um, when in actuality they aren't. From the individual and the society level, you know, it's much better for us to have large swaths of conservation land. But taking that land away from people that have historically hunted on it and used it as agriculture um, means that for those individuals, it's a negative uh, event. So there are always going to be different kinds of trade-offs you frame it in kind of what length of time are you thinking about from whose frame of reference are you thinking about um and you know it can be a very nuanced conversation i think one of the things that we have seen in impact investing is that it's not always a trade-off companies that do well um are not always do not always have to be um, companies that do it at the expense of their customers or larger society. Companies can do well 
and and do good um, by being focused on providing relevant products and services uh, for people that need them. And I think that, you know, as we're looking at what happens post-COVID, it's important to recognize that organizations need to act in the broader context that they operate in. If you are making money at the expense of your entire local community and you know you cause bankruptcies and foreclosures and you know really economically devastate a community, your ability to continue making money in the long run is not assured. And it's the same thing with environment. If we continue to have large companies that are making money at the expense of the environment, those costs are going to add up financial and otherwise. So I think it's it's a very nuanced discussion, but I do think that I hope that the conversation becomes twofold. Um, one, from a regulatory perspective, that countries start to hold companies accountable to um, more than a very small set of shareholders. And two, that individuals as customers and as investors start to hold companies accountable um, for the impact that they have on inequality and climate change, um, on creating access to basic services. So a deal that went really well at both a purpose and a financial level. Um, well, I'm going to cheat a little bit, um, but I don't know if you knew this, but the AstraZeneca um, vaccine actually is a, um, a joint venture uh, which is also um, a, a product of, of impact investment in essence. And um, I think we shall see on a global level how well that does. Um, but one of the things that they have taken equipment to is to not making um, profits um, until the in, until essentially the, the pandemic is over. And um, it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Um, so we, from a purpose level, um, you know, that does seem to be a noble goal and it does potentially seem to be working um, from, a, uh, from a financial level so far. We will see um, what happens with that. Um, another one that, you know, I think uh, to, to steal one from, um, from my book um, that, that, I, uh, that I quite like um, is um, there's a, a, an example um, in my book, as I mentioned kind of earlier, about a healthcare company that's being built in Nigeria by a set of Nigerian entrepreneurs. And um, they've just now raised their Series B um, and they're growing significantly. And they work with data and the healthcare system and helping to train and enable doctors around electronic medical records. And for the investors, this company is you know, growing exponentially. Um, and from an impact perspective, the, the more they're able to develop the um, access to electronic medical records for Nigeria and for um, the, the doctors and the nurses that, that work with them, the more they're able to provide quality care based off of um, good information and um, decrease the cost uh, of that care um, in ways um, that is becoming apparent um, in, as, they, as they are growing. And so I think companies like that that are looking at really developing data solutions that are designed to empower and service um, individuals that, that really need it are going to increasingly be, be relevant um, as, we, as we move forward.
Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. And then briefly, Oni, I've often heard you say that people should get involved with accelerators. So if, from your perspective, what exactly is an accelerator and how does one meaningfully engage with them? Great question. So accelerators are organizations that work with start- startups. They don't have to be social startups. They can be any type of startups. Um, to help them, as the name says, accelerate their, their growth. Oftentimes they help with things like designing um, their product, their initial service, their business model, uh, pricing, their plans for how they're going to distribute their product, all the things that go into building a business that entrepreneurs, often most all entrepreneurs need help in different ways. And so accelerators and incubators provide these, uh, these services, sometimes in cohorts where a certain number of them will go through, sometimes in um, online or digital um, services that are provided at different times uh, when you get into the program. What I would suggest for individuals that are interested in getting into and getting you know, your hands dirty is to think about what skills you have. So what experience do you have in, um, in business? This might be in a sector. So you are really experienced in healthcare, education, or conservation, and you understand how the sector really works. It might be in different parts of business. You've got a lot of marketing background, or you have a great background um, around financial modeling. Um, and so identify what you think that you could offer, and then engage with accelerators to potentially offer those services to work with entrepreneurs. I might be giving a workshop or engaging directly with an entrepreneur to help them um, with the skill that you have that you could offer to them. Um, it can be really rewarding. I've always enjoyed working uh, with accelerators and incubators. Um, and it's, you know, the, the entrepreneurs that are going through these accelerators and incubators have a lot of energy and are, um, you know, really, especially if you're working with social entrepreneurs, really trying to build something really powerful. Thank you for sharing that and for, for clarifying. I definitely think that sounds like something worth pursuing for, for young entrepreneurs, especially in South Africa, given the, the accessibility of these incubators. Mm. What big issue are you most concerned with at the moment? Uh, what is keeping you up at night and more importantly, what are some of the solutions that you are toying with, both in theory and in practice? That's a good question. Um, things keeping me up at night, obviously climate change. Um, I do, I just get very worried that we're not going to make the amount of change that we need um, to be able to address the climate crisis. Um, and so on that regard, working with some you know, large institutions um, that you know manage trillions of dollars to really try and um, help them design strategies that are not necessarily just about limiting their exposure, but potentially also uh, about uh, expanding the options um, for for a variety of different approaches to solving that. And then another one that I really you know worry about is is the recovery and potentially the lopsidedness of the post-COVID recovery. And I think for me, that really boils down to, to ownership of assets. You know, what we see over and over again in the, in the literature is that 
the only way people go from poverty to middle income is through owning assets, some kind of assets, whether it's a sewing machine or a house or a car or you know something that they use to be able to be financially secure and generate income. And so what I would like to see in one of the areas that I'm starting to, to work more in is in an area of the book is around how do we build out more distributed ownership for companies? So why should only a few people in the world get the profits um, from companies? Why shouldn't communities and workers um, and others be able to reap the rewards of, of building successful businesses? And so there's some, there's some interesting uh, options discussed in the book around how do we build more distributed companies and how do we use investment capital to be able to help this you know, this transition happen so i think it's i hope that we're able to address the very large issues that we are facing and i think that you know really thinking about how our system works um, and how the distribution of capital and of wealth works is, is important and figuring out ways that we can help individuals own assets, um, I think is going to be a significant part on the ownership side. Um, and then the climate change side, you know, the whole, whole other discussion that definitely keeps me awake at night. I think that is one that is felt by many, many people, including myself. But Orni, before I ask you the last question, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time and for really thinking through some of these issues with me a little bit deeper. I've definitely learned some things about finance I didn't know before. But what I wanted to tell my listeners is if you want to hear more from Orni or you'd like to follow her work, she's quite active on Twitter, just at Orni. Or if you'd like to hear more of her voice, I suggest doing the Innovative Finance course on Coursera. And that is not an ad. Um, <laughs> but for the last question, <laughs> Orni, given your experience, what question should I have asked you? Oh, you know what, Olivia, these conversations can go on for hours and hours and hours. Um, I think there's, you know, the thing about innovative financing, and you've heard me say this before, it covers all sectors and all parts of society and all different asset classes. So this idea of layering in impact into the way we think about almost everything is just so expansive that I sometimes find myself getting lost in it. Um, so I, I really don't know. I mean, I think for me, what I'm realizing and what I'm loving is that the conversations are getting more technical, they're getting more specific. And I think what I've appreciated from, from this conversation is that we don't, we're not starting from a, why should I think about these types of things? And I think that for me, it's a nice departure point to jump straight into kind of how we should think about impact as opposed to why. And I think that the how can just go on forever. And I certainly don't have all the answers. So um, I don't think I don't think that there are specific things um, that um, that I've necessarily missed in the conversation. Um, but given enough time, um, we could probably discuss everything and anything. Thank you for joining me today at Earthcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Let's chat next episode 
where I will be asking more creatives and intellectual disruptors about making decisions at the margin. See you next time.